Hey, what's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bomb. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So today, this is a real pleasure. I welcome Vincent Chalius to the show. Vincent is in Bali, Indonesia, and it's 7 a.m. Friday morning, so happy Friday there to you, Vincent. Welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I see we, Hi guys. See we have a whole bunch of people uh, tuning in here. So... So for those of you that don't know Vincent, and, and he is a uh, he's really another icon in this um, hobby, this industry, whatever you want to say, but he's a marine biologist who is really a coral farming pioneer. He's also a diver and a passionate underwater photographer, helping to document corals and contributing photos and articles to a number of publications in Europe and the United States. He set up the first Indonesian coral mariculture farms at the beginning of the century and spent over 20 years in Indonesia running them. These days, Vincent is more focused, though, on reef restoration. So before we start chatting with Vincent, I do want to thank the sponsors for the show, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate these companies supporting the show, and I appreciate all you folks that have been tuning in. Please don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe, whatever so we can get more people into this stream. As always, I encourage you folks to ask a lot of questions and make some comments in the chat. I will do my best to answer them. And um, so, Vincent, man, over 20 years ago, um, you helped Bally Aquarium become the first in situ or ocean farm, licensed coral farm in Indonesia. And earlier this year, Bally Aquarium became the first ex situ I'm, I'm uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that stuff correctly or inland licensed coral farm yes. in Indonesia to obtain um, export quota for these corals. Can you um, kind of just talk about the steps and the hurdles that you had to overcome to set up the uh, Bali Aquarium and, and, you know, that setting up that first ocean farm over 20 years ago? Can you kind of give us a little bit of background and the history, what that's all uh, yeah. that was all about? Yeah, it's uh, the, the problem when you start a new activity like that is that there is no uh, administration, there is no legal paper, you know. So you have to build all the administrative paperwork uh, as you go. So you have a great idea, you see it's functioning and everything, but until you get all the licenses and all the sites permits so you can accept your produce, it takes it takes takes a while and it was quite a challenge uh, 20 years ago because uh, there was no definition in CITES, for example, of what farm coral was. So they had we had to lobby the CITES so they properly define what was the difference between wild collected corals, farm corals, ranch corals, etc. Et so they there is a difference between if you uh, are completely ex situ, it's a special code. I forgot what is the code, you know, on the site permit. If you are ranching, that means that you are taking, you know, fragments from uh, wild colonies and then you put them on base, you let them grow and then you ship them. That's considered ranching. And uh, farming is you need to produce broodstock colony first, which you take fragments from. And then you, you plant them on base and then you can export them, you know. So there was all this process of defining the activity properly. And then after locally, we had to, uh, we had to do all the local uh, regulations to actually uh, regulate that business. Uh, 
So there was plenty of regulation, you know. So so for Acropora, for example, it's a, it's it's a map things, you know. So uh, if you have one mother colony, every four to six months, you can take ten frags from that mother colony, and four to six months later, you can export those four those frags. So that's the way it works. And then ten percent of these frags is considered as mortality, and ten percent is supposed to go back to the environment and be replanted on the reef. So. So yeah, that's just map. So we had to create all this and negotiate all this with the government, uh, find a way to be audited and to be regulated properly. You know, so that's that was a challenge. Uh, for the ex situ farm, I think it took us four years to get uh, a license. We built the system, we run a system, we invited the government, we told them it was possible to farm coral on land. They didn't believe us, they came. And they audited multiple times, send the scientific authorities, send the management authorities, send many people from the fisheries and the forestry department. And it took the whole process took four years. So it's a yeah, it's a lot of investment. And now that all the regulation is set, everybody's jumping in. So was the 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 inland uh, operation that was uh, somewhat recent, correct? Yeah, yeah, we just, I mean, we we set up the first system four years ago, you know, but we just got the license uh, like three, four months ago. So, so it's a long, long, long process. What what kind of volume are you guys dealing with at this point in time in terms of both the uh, the ocean farms and the inland farms? Uh, I, I would need to check the exact numbers, you know, but I think for the, for the in-situ farm, the ocean farms, we are 40 to 50,000 pieces per year quota and uh, at the moment for the uh, ex, for the exity farms the inland farm i think we are uh, 5000 i think and uh, i would need to check that again i forgot that and we are expanding we are doubling our system you know we just we just uh, had one more layer in the whole farm you know so we doubled whole system so how how has that been trending over the years in in terms of just the uh, the coral exporting business ha, has it been um you know you're you're you mentioned that you're expanding the system so I'm assuming that's for the inland uh, facility Yes okay right. is yeah. so obviously the demand is is going up and your guys are um you're actually able to um to farm more corals on the inland but what about the uh, the ocean farm Okay so so I mean the thing is you need to produce the right the right products that's that's the challenge because it takes time. So you need to produce broodstock first, you know, and then and then six months or one year or two years later, then you have product you can sell. So it takes a lot of uh, development. So at the moment, we're not really expanding the ocean farms. We're just modifying the ex the, the ocean farms so we different products. That that that, that the, the main the main target. Uh, the, the ocean farm and the inland farm don't produce the same product. There is a lot of product that are very difficult to produce in uh, in ocean farms. First of all, in ocean farm, you need to cut the corals to a minimum size. If you cut too small, you know they will they still are in competition with algae, sponges, uh, predation from fish, etc., etc. So. It's like as soon as you cut, for example, a, a, a euphilia underwater, you have all the butterfly fish that are coming, you know, to eat the, the stress tissue, you know. So, so for some easier to do it, you know, outside water than to do it in the water. 
so it's it's different products. So we focus on uh, on things that you can sell that are very difficult to get boot stock. So, so you have boot stock. So inland you can cut in very small size, and all of a ten centimeter or three inch piece you can get twenty frags. If you do this in the ocean, you know, out of a three inch piece, you're gonna get three four frags. So the ratio is different, uh, and um, and the market has changed also, you know. Uh, 20 years ago, nobody wanted farm corals uh, because they say, oh, it's too small, we prefer wild corals. It took, like, markets like Japan, takes, takes, it took a decennium, you know, to get to send some corals into Japan because they, 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 they think, you know, if you, myculture corals is things that are produced in thousands of exemplary. Mm-hmm. So, so you have the same corals 10,000 times, and they don't want that. Because they prefer the wild collected corals, which is unique. So yeah, it's the, the market has changed a lot within 20 years. It's a, it's it's a completely different world now, and uh, and and the, the the inland farms are just a complementary of the ocean farms. They just work together. We don't produce the same thing inland and uh, and ocean in the ocean. So uh, Chris Meckley from ACI Aquaculture is in the house. Chris uh, says, I remember seeing the first system yeah. in 2018 when I visited. Um, yeah. And, and Yeah, so it's five years, actually, yeah. that we start building it. The inland farm, yeah. Um, so what, what's, um, Vincent, I, you know, we, we had a chat before we um, actually went on the live stream a couple of days ago, and, and uh we, we talked a little bit and I was asking some questions. I want to, I want to repeat a couple of those questions when I was uh, talking about it. But, um, one of the questions I had was, um, you know, global warming and, uh, bleaching events. So when, when I had, uh, Dr. Dean Miller on from the coral, uh, living coral biobank from Australia, you know, we, we, uh, we had a long conversation and obviously they started this coral biobank because of these, uh, bleaching events on the great barrier reef. What's, what's going on in, in Indo? Are we seeing, are you guys seeing, um, you know, some bleaching happening? Is that impacting the operations? Okay, so so every reef in the world has different issues. They all have issues, you know, but it's always different issues. Uh, we are impacted by bleaching uh, in Indonesia, but not as seriously mm-hmm. as on the Great Barrier Reef, first of all. But we have different issues that they don't have there that we have here. Um, our main issue here is pollution. So, so basically, the Great Barrier Reef, you know, it's offshore. You know, it's hundred miles offshore the reef. You know, so it get polluted. It get they have a huge problem with uh, with um, sugarcane plantation runoff in the ocean, but they don't have direct sewage system pollution because they don't have a huge population on the on the on the coast of Queensland. What we have here, the main problem we have here is uh, big developments on the coast, just next by those waves. So a lot of uh, nitrogen and phosphorus being released in the water. The same problem as you have in Florida, you know, basically, you know, and a lot of uh, human waste, uh, pollution, E. coli and everything. So we get disease, we get uh, drupella snail, we get uh, chronothon starfish, but we don't Mm. get so much bleaching. We had some serious bleaching here in '98 and '98 uh, and 2016. This is where. So we lost a couple farms. Like in 2016, we lost two farms completely, 100%. Everything lost. Mm. Wow. 
so it's a it's a it's a big problem for us. But we know now how to deal with it. We just put the farms deeper. Uh, but but yeah, we learned over the years, over uh, twenty years, we learned to work deeper. That's that's basically uh, what happened. How how um, how do you uh, actually um, you know um, do that in terms of moving deeper? Can you take a pre-existing farm and just uh, kind of put the uh, that grow operation deeper, and tow it to, to deeper waters? Yes, we just move the racks one by one. So we wait that there is almost nothing left on the rack, and then. We even we change the rack. We we put a new rack deeper, and we kind of move only the the fragments and the mother colony deeper, uh, and then get rid of the old rack. That's usually the way we do it. So the racks have a life expectancy of four or five years anyway. You know, so every four or five years you still have to change all the racks. So. So when we have to change the racks, we just put them deeper. Well, um, are, are you concerned about the uh, the light intensity, losing light intensity by going deeper? I mean, I guess obviously you have a limit in terms of how deep you can go. Uh, yeah, so for the very shallow, I mean, for the very shallow farms, uh, I mean, first of all, the way the market is going is we need to produce more and more LPS. So we need to work deeper a little bit anyway gotcha. because what we need to produce now is different from what we used to produce 20 years ago sorry uh so of course for millis and tenuis we still ones, uh, but uh, uh, we select very carefully where we play not in a kind of a hot water stream so we select places that have a little bit more flow and uh, that's not going to be affected so much with warm water so we don't really farm like millepora especially is one problematic course because it needs to be in very shallow water this is where it's going to grow nice this is where it's going to take this beautiful shape and uh, it needs to be in the phytoplankton soup that is at the surface you know in the first 50 centimeters of water this is where it, it loves to be you know it loves to be feeding so it's a problem they used to we used to farm them in a in a sheltered to a bit base and now we farm them in places where there is a little bit more flow so there is not so much risk of a uh, of bleaching bali we're very lucky in bali because we have it's a it's it's a it's a small island and and the north coast and the south coast is completely different habitats completely different environment you know so in the south we get some upwelling some cooler water than in the north so we just need to move the farms away from the the very warm water we get in the north what um what do you think the future holds for uh, coral farming in in Indo? You know, like in five years, where do you think this thing is going to be at? Is is, it, is that kind of too hard to predict at this point in time? Yeah, it's a, it's it's a little bit complicated because we have a lot of uh, issues right now in Indonesia. So the, the main issue is is to try to understand what's going to happen once they 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 shut down the the wild collection. So the plan is to shut down the the wild collection in twenty twenty four. They had a plan to shut it down two years ago. You know, it didn't happen. So because they say because of pandemic and economic situation, you know, they need more, few more years to, to start farming cars. So the government gives them a few years more. Uh, the plan now is 2024. They say they're going to shut it down. We'll see what's going to happen. But yeah, the problem is right now is uh, the wild collection is basically supplying raw materials you know to the u.s so we have a lot of farms in the u.s and in europe producing uh, calls 
and uh, and yeah, they just import wild corals from Indonesia, cut them, cut them, and 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 sell corals, you know. So they just export raw material, which I think is not a very bright idea, you know. While we can produce the the the, the farm corals directly here, so we'll see what's going to happen. It also depends on the market. I mean, like two years ago, uh, torches were obviously the the very uh, the, the cherry, you know, everybody was looking for torches. Uh, we'll see all the markets going to evolve, you know, what is going to request. You see, if they keep on requesting millepora and uh, tenuis and uh, and all this, so, yeah, I don't think there will be a problem for Indonesian farms. But if the demand changes, we need to check what the demand is going to be. But but I think the future, if they shut down the, the, the wild coral collection, you know, the future for, for my culture and, uh, and uh, land farms in Indonesia is pretty bright. Because uh, even if they produce a lot of corals in the States or in Europe, they, they will still need some, some corals from here. And we are in the middle. We are close to Asia. We are not so far from, uh, from the States and not so far from Europe. Uh, yeah, so we should be fine. We should be fine if the freight cost doesn't go crazy again. Yeah, we should be Been fine. Out, of, out of sight. Um, what What would you say is the percent that um, you know is being contributed to the um, to the rest of the world in terms of the wild coral uh, you know exports from Indo? I mean, how, how what is what what do you have any idea in terms of what that percentage is? I can get the I can get the data, you know, but I, I don't look at it. Uh, I try to uh, to just focus on what we're doing and not focus on what the other are doing. Uh, I guess it's a few hundred thousand pieces uh, of corals which are exported. I don't know how many exactly. You know, I would say like like half a million pieces probably. You know, that that, that should be around around that. You know, that's that's quite many. You know, but the the quota is is going down and down and down and down every year. You know, until they stop it. You know, so they tr- they still yeah. So there is less and less coral which are exported from uh, from from Indonesia. That's for sure, you know. And Queensland is is almost stopped. So yeah, we need to farm corals because uh, the wild collection is is getting is getting harder and harder. Yeah, you know, it's um, to, to, you know, just kind of common sense says that it's just going to be more and more of a challenge, um, you know, over the uh, over time in terms of what you're facing in terms of, you know, the global warming and in terms of the bleaching events and other parts of the, uh, the world. And, and, um, but yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's going to be an interesting next, uh, couple of years, I assume for, for, for you guys, but it sounds like you're trying to, uh, adapt with the inland farms. Yeah, I mean, there is there is still a lot of things we can do. You know, we, we haven't explored the sexual reproduction, you know, that, uh, we should be doing. There is, there is still, I think there is still a lot of options, you know, in the in the in the coral farming business. Uh, right now, we focus mainly on uh, on replanting, on reef restoration work. So we create nurseries, uh, ocean nurseries, to produce coral for reef restoration. Uh, and uh, and replant corals. My target is to replant as many corals as I export. Uh, uh, so yeah, there is there is there is a lot of activities you know that we can do you know the the, the reefs are getting damaged all around the world and uh, they need to be fixed and uh, we know how to do it, so we can also participate in this. This is also for us it's a uh, replanting, making sure the reefs around our nursery and around our coral farms you know are healthy you know it's also a way to protect our own nurseries. So 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 we need to be doing that job. 
So I think that the, the, the my culture industry has a has a great uh, future in Indonesia because yeah, griefs are getting hammered every day. So at some point, you know, uh, people when they will see you know reef disappearing, you know, they will ask us, you know, to come and and fix it and restore it as much as we can. Uh, we cannot save the reefs, you know. I mean, in 50 years or 100 years, you know, they will be gone anyway if we don't stop our we don't change our way of living, but uh, we're just trying to delay the process until maybe uh, there is a, a change in mentality. I hear you. So, uh, Jake, Reef Builders, man, thank you very much for that super chat. The comment is make sure to smash that like button and post some questions to the Coral Master. And uh, we've we've got a few questions in the queue here uh, for you, Vincent. What, one, one more follow-up question for you, though. Um, you mentioned in terms of restoring the, uh, the coral reefs and whatnot, you're you're more involved these days. You told me uh, before we did the live stream in the um, reef restoration, correct? And farming at this point yes. in time. So so the idea is when we created the the, 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 the regulation the, the, for for uh, coral myculture, you know. So we decided with the government that ten percent of whatever we would produce would be replanted on the reefs. Uh, uh, that was very nice, uh, but the thing is, the coral that you need for reef restoration is not the coral that you produce for aquarium. It's completely different. Mm. Uh, corals for aquariums must be colorful. It's only a few genus, very selected. While the coral that you need for reef restoration is resilient corals, brown corals. It's there is no way you can sell the coral that uh, you we grow for reef restoration for aquarium purposes. So, so, so it's, it's completely different work, you know, so, and, uh, and 15 years ago, we were lazy. We, we were just busy with trying to produce as many species as possible here. And, uh, and we would give calls away to a different, uh, organization that we would plant them. And we realized that those guys didn't really know what they were doing and that they were not doing their job properly. So we decided, I think six or seven years ago to to start doing it ourselves so we have the now know how we we've been doing this for 20 years you know so so we know better than anybody else you know or to plant corals underwater so we start doing it and uh this year i'm i'm, I'm gonna eat the twenty-five thousand corals pretty soon and my target is now thirty thousand corals before the end of the year wow so so a lot of so we produce fifty thousand corals for aquariums and we are planting 30,000 corals back into the ocean you know, awesome. I think the, the aquarium industry we try to we try to create a, a movement you know within the aquarium industry you know so the the aquarium people take their responsibility you know I mean uh, yeah you cannot blame the aquarium industry you know for all the reefs going down in the world you know but they play a small role into that you know so so it's, it's it's there is no denial you know i mean we have to assume you know so so if the the whole aquarium industry you know would put their things together and start to to take their responsibilities and and start to fix reef you know more than the damage uh that would be something so that, that that's the idea you know so we try to get some few people involved it was a little bit difficult you know people didn't follow up on this so we decided we're going to do this alone we're going to do this. And, uh, and yeah, and it's taking momentum. So, so That's we great. are very happy with that. That sounds like it's going in the right direction. So, uh, all right, a question from Pepe de la Torre Navas. 
hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Um, hello, Vincent. One question. Is there any book or website or resource to look where every coral species lives, water depth, water movement, and nutrition, and water quality? And I know Jake mentioned the uh, the Coral Finder 2022. What, um, what, what are some good resources there for um, IDing corals or Vincent? Well, I mean, there is one website which is uh, managed by Veron, which is called Coral of the World. That's uh, that's for out calls. Unfortunately, you need to uh, you need to understand the the mindset of uh, Mr. Veron, you know, to be able to use it, you know. So uh, there are some information that can be used for aquarists, you know, but not that many, you know. Uh, yeah, there is not many. Uh, there is not a lot of information available online. Unfortunately, there should be a lot more, you know. But it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of uh, money to actually run a, a big website like that, you know, and, and maintain it and keep it up to date. Few people have uh, have tried it. I, um, so, for example, you know, regarding Acropora, there is three big is uh, Veron. So everything is online. Is available online. It's it's pretty good. So you 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 just type corals of the worlds, and then you're gonna find this website. You type the genus of coral you're looking for. You type the species. Then you're gonna have the description with few pictures of that species. That's pretty good. Uh, uh, but there is another school. You know, Carden Wallace uh, did this book in the 90s that's called uh, uh, Stagon Corals of the World. And um, they had this online, and and they run out of money and. They just it's offline unfortunately right now because they don't have enough mm. money to maintain it uh, so yeah it's uh, it's expensive to actually uh, uh, keep uh, this huge website online it's a lot of maintenance and a lot of work every day to uh, to make sure it's up to date and to make sure there is no bug no no problem with it so we unfortunately so so the only available thing online is call of the world gotcha so Vincent, would you say that over the years you've collected, um, collected, cultured, and shipped um, a lot of stony corals to uh, the folks here in the United States? And the chances are that most of us here in the U.S. have a coral that has got lineage to the corals that you have collected. Would you say that's a um, a true statement? Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, se- I mean, selling my culture corals for 20 years, you know. So yeah, there is definitely a lot of uh, a lot of coral that landed in the states and uh, and that are probably still there. <laughs> so this is a this is kind of a lead into a question from a viewer, um, Jacob Bigstrom. Uh, question for Vincent: What's your all-time favorite coral? And then a follow-up question: What about your all-time favorite? Acro. Okay, so I mean, for for acros, uh, I'm a, you know, I mean, I like to go and and find the calls and observe the calls in the environment, you know. So 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 one of the reasons I'm I'm good at what I'm doing is because when we culture corals, we need to find the best way to actually grow coral in the ocean but not exactly where in the place where it lives. So we need to understand what affects is, is its biology and the way it lives so we can replicate this and find a similar place that is accessible uh, for our staff, that is not too deep, that etc. Cetera, et cetera. 
So, so I, I spend a lot of time observing corals underwater, you know. So obviously, I'm very bored with tenuis and millipores. <laughs> I hate millis and I hate tenuis. You, yeah, I, I've been growing and selling them for 20 years. You know, it's I'm I'm over them. <laughs> so, unfortunately, what's gonna excite me underwater? I think which is not very exciting for for an aquarist point of view. You know, so it's often something which is either very deep or either rare and probably brown. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Um, uh, I was in uh, North Sulawesi in uh, July, and then uh, there is two species of coral that I found for the first time. One is uh, a copotinella that was 40 meters at the bottom of Wacken. So it's a brown coral. doesn't look like amazing. You know, you need to get close to it to see that it's different. And the other one was a copora almaira. Uh, that I've seen for the first time. It's it's uh, it's very thin, deep water, brown, not very fancy calls. So so yeah, if I had to go uh, into what excites me, you know, it's this kind of things. Uh, after I like deep water acropora, you know, so like uh, gold dragon, like this kind of things, speciosa. I like I like I like this kind of things more than uh, than shallow water acropora. Yeah, Jake so, is. Uh... So, yeah. Jake kind of uh, asked a very fortuitous question. When are the smooth deep water corals going to be popular again? Well, it sounds like um, you're you're digging those, but they're not necessarily going to be the uh, the colorful ones that um, we've uh, we've seen making their way through the uh, trade here in the states. It's hard, it's hard to to say, you know, because I mean I didn't collect those and I didn't put them in aquariums, so 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 you don't know what they're going to become under blue lights. So, so right. you never know. I mean, those corals are, are leaves 40 or 50 meters deep. You put them up into a LPS kind of style uh, aquarium, you know, with uh, not too strong blue light, and they're going to develop pigments, and uh, and you could be surprised what they're going to become, you know. I mean, that's what happened with uh, with uh, deep water corals uh, 15 years ago, you know. It's, they were mostly brown, and then... We put them in aquarium under blue light, and then we realized that those corals were becoming very, very, very colorful, you know, and they were a lot stronger than shallow water corals. So they got popular that way. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's unfortunately, I don't have a wild, collect wild collection license, you know, so I cannot go and, and just take a sample, bring it up, and put it in aquarium, and... And, and try it, you know, but we're working on it, you know, to get permits, you know, to go and uh, and uh, collect some samples of those species and maybe start farming them and see if uh, if uh, they become aquarium calls. Did you collect the, um, and I, I want to ask you about the, the name game here, but um, did you collect the uh, the Tyree Purple Monster? That was from Valley, wasn't it? Uh, th that's a common species that we get here, that we get here, you know? So yeah, it's, uh, I, I shipped, I certainly shipped a lot of them and I farmed a lot of them. That's, uh, yeah. So yeah, this is what we call uh, Oxemai. Yes. So, so we made it popular, like, uh, I don't know, 18 years old. It's a, it's a beautiful course. It's very colorful. Unfortunately with the, with the blue LEDs now, it doesn't look as good as it used to under uh, HQI. The metal light, 
So, so it, it's not as popular as it used to be, but it's still a beautiful coral. It's still a, a coral that I enjoy finding, and uh, because it's not so common, it lives in. A, so when you find it, it it it, it makes this huge like. I don't know, five, six, six foot high, long branching colonies in very calm turbine lagoon. So it's a it's a very particular environment. It's beautiful colonies. I'm talking about. Um, we might be talking about a different coral. The the, uh, the, the purple okay. monster I'm talking about is like a, a kind of a deep, rich purple. It's got white polyps. It's got very um, thick branches. I'm, dense. I'm not. I'm not so good at. Yeah, as you can the see, name game. So it's the whole thing. The yeah. Names, you know? You have to give me uh, Latin names, you know, and then and then I know. So Jake, so maybe it's Gomezai. Jake, Jake might. Jake probably knows the name of that yeah, uh, the scientific know, name. You know, which one it Jake, is. put put it in the chat there if you know the. I'm sure you do the Tyree Purple Monster, whatever that scientific name is. But um, so um, all right, a couple more questions, um, Vincent. So Chris Rojas is wondering, how do you determine what the market requires? I guess in terms of the demand and uh, type. Yeah, that that's complicated. That's it's always a, a bet. So um, basically, I mean, we try to uh, to to look at the, what's becoming popular. Obviously, our customers. So they ask us. Uh, I need more of this, so we can feel the strength from 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 us. You know, so they're asking. Oh, yeah, we need more torch. We need more torch. We need more torch. Right now, it's flower pots. It's, it's gonyopora are getting more popular, you know, so we're in more Gonyopora. So we can feel, we also look at what is becoming popular on uh, online, you know, so we look at all the pictures, uh, what everything is, what everybody's crazy about. We look at builders, we, look at, we write for Reef Builders, we try to have something new and different, you know, we try to showcase it on Reef Builder and see if it's, uh, if it's picking up. But yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it takes a, it's it's a lot of efforts to actually, you know, always uh, observe what's going on on the market and what is popular and what is not. So, uh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I was going to say Jake um, corrected me. The uh, purple monster is from the Solomon Islands, and it's an Acropora. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this. Longa Cynthius. Longa Cynthius. Longa Cynthius. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we produce something similar here, you know. So yeah. Longia centrus is actually a very, very nice coral. Uh, it's also it's it lives in the same environment, you know. So I wasn't too far off, you know. It lives in the, in uh, uh, turbid lagoons, very calm and very protected turbid lagoons, and make those thick branches. It's uh yeah, it's a it's a nice coral. You mentioned uh, yeah. Ganiapora flower pot uh, corals and how they're uh, becoming very popular. Why why is it um you know I don't know if you can uh, answer this question but it just seems like they're so much easier now for uh, Aquarius to keep in their tanks versus years and years ago is it just uh, is it is it something in the species coming out of the wild or is it or are we talking about no the... I think I think it's mainly aquarium techniques you know I mean having ICP and people understand a lot better the chemistry of the aquariums and and there was a lot of uh, poison in in salt and products that uh, we used to. I mean, uh, Triton revolutionized uh, our industry, you know, when it comes to that, because because all the products now they know they they're gonna be under the the microscope of uh, ICP testing, you know. So so before any product is coming out of the water of the of the market, you know, they 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 make sure there is no pollution in them, there is no nothing that's gonna hurt the corals, and it's gonna be better, you know. So I think 
ICP, uh, in a way, revolutionized the chemistry of our uh, aquariums. And, and, and the quality of the products that we get now is, is, is much better than what we used to. Yeah, Chris. Uh... So I think, I think the main problem with Gunapora was, was, was pollution, you know. So, 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 yeah, so pollution of different uh, AV metals. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the main difference. Yeah, Chris uh, from ACI is saying minor and traces um, certainly, I guess, are helping with, with Ghanis. Yeah. Um, he, he has a question, though. How many um, <clears throat> different colors of Ghanis do you currently farm, would you say? It's hard to say, you know. It's hard to keep up, you know. So uh, I would say at least 50 different varieties of, of Ghaniopolis. Wow. And oh. and we're trying to produce more and more and more and more because they, they actually do very well in aquarium. So, so they actually grow very well in, in land farm. They they go well in uh, ocean farms, you know, but but they go even better in uh, in uh, in land farms. So so it's uh, I would say yeah, uh, Blastomusa, Goniopora, Chalice, Echinophilia. Are probably the and and all the favids are probably the the, the four men's uh, coral that we grow in in land farms. But yeah, they, they they do very well. You know, you can cut them small if you disinfect the water, if you disinfect the soil properly, and uh, you have very good result, uh, very small mortality, and they grow pretty fast if you feed them well. Yeah, I um you know the last few years I've I've had um, some. Ghanaiapora and Alviapora frags that have just blossomed into um, big colonies, and and I've, for the first time in the last couple of years, been been fragging those myself, and just uh, yeah, I'm amazed at how resilient those corals are. You know, you could just kind of like frag them up, and then like two mm -hmm. weeks later, they're like, you know, shooting out the. Um... And, and that and the thing with Ghaniopora is that even a small half inch frag, when the polyps are totally expanded, you know, it's like it's like big enough you know to take a little bit of space in aquarium and to be visible so 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 it's a good call to actually farm you know because even though the skeleton is pretty small with extended polyp you know it takes enough space for 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 people to enjoy it so chris's wife man has got it and, and it's very colorful it's perfect. Oh yeah, it's perfect aquarium. You know, I'm I'm an SPS uh, nut, and uh, people always seem to get drawn to my Ghanian pores and Alvia pores. I'm like, come on, look at the sticks. <laughs> they like the motion, you know. <laughs> Me too. Same as you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. motion is is important. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Amanda Meckley has a question: What species are the most challenging for Vincent to farm? Echinopia is a pain in us. Echinophilia. Uh, echinophilia is difficult because it grows, yeah, chalices, you know, I mean, the, the echinophilia because they grow so slow. We still haven't, uh, haven't uh, found uh, what we need to tweak, you know, so they grow a lot faster. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. I wish we could grow uh, echinophilia a lot faster than we are doing right now. So it's just it's just a very slow metabolism uh, call, you know. It's just the way I say it, you know. I mean, that's why Acropora, Acropora or Goniopora, you get quick result. So it's 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 very interesting, you know. But but Echinophilia, you know, it's you need to forget them, you know, in one corner for six months, and then after six months you go there, wow. <laughs> but if you go and look at them every day, you know, say it's not growing, it's not growing, it's not growing. What is wrong with this call? It's not growing, it's not growing. <laughs> So yeah, it's not a very uh, satisfying call. 
So um, earlier in the conversation, you, you mentioned about, uh, you know, Acropora and coloration and, and uh, a lot of quarries just want to see very colorful uh, acros. But <clears throat> you, were, you were basically saying that um, you're more intrigued these days with the, uh, with the shapes of acros versus uh, colors. Can you, um, you get a little bit more detail in, the, uh, in that, that uh, thinking I of yours? Okay, it's it's not totally true, you know, but but yeah, so you have corals in the ocean and you have corals in aquarium. This is two separate things. So so you need to look at a, corals in the ocean and and try to see if you can find a potential for them in aquariums. So I take a lot of acros from the ocean farms and uh, and put them under. LEDs in our farm and see if they start to develop color that they don't develop in the ocean. So at the moment we have one uh, one coral, you know, that I think could be the next tenuis. I'm not sure about the species. I thought it was Acropora donae, but it's actually a different species. It was mainly brown on our farms. And then uh, I could see there was a hint of pink. And so I put them under blue LEDs, uh, and then the pink start to develop, and it got bright pink. And then when we frag them, where they start growing, they develop some green pigments. So it kind of have a, have a blue uh, axial coralite and radial coralite with a, a pink color tissue in the middle, and then where it's growing, there is a kind of a green edge. So, so yeah, so I think it has a very good potential for aquarium. So we're trying to multiply them and it could become popular. This, uh, that, that, that's the way it works, you know, so it's just trial and error. You know, you see a potential for calls, you take it, you put it under blue LEDs, you know, and then up for the best, you know, and, and, and develop something. When you find, when you eat something, then you try to, to multiply this in, uh, by hundreds. So you have stock to sell. What um so that's a uh, it's a rainbow tenuous you're talking about? I don't think so. It's not a tenuous. It's not a millepora, but it's something pretty similar. It's a shallow water uh, corambos, so same shape. I just I'm not sure about the species. I haven't found exact species. You know, I have many pictures of it in the wild, but I'm still. It takes. I mean, sometimes to put a name on one coral, you know, it takes it takes years. What do, you, what do you think about the uh, the coral name game and the marketing that's going on around the uh, the names and and uh, you know it just kind of creates a fever pitch among hobbyists and the prices for some of these corals are like just unbelievable and and uh, you know it's all driven by marketing. What um, how do you feel by that? You know, I mean, essentially you're you're collecting stuff and and then you're putting it into the pipeline and then it's kind of taking on a life of its own. It's pros and, con and cons, you know, I mean, it's like, um, it, it's good for the market, you know, because you get people entertained, you know, and then you get people, you know, to, to want more calls and, uh, and it makes some calls popular, you know, so in a way, you know, it's kind of, it make the, the market animated, you know, yep. and, uh, so, so it's, it's people enjoy that, you know, they want, they want changing things. They want different things, you know, so the funny thing is that there is this wall game, you know, but actually the, the, the corals are still the same, you know, they don't evolve much, you know, so that's funny, you know, because you have thousand and thousand and thousand <laughs> and name, you know, but it's still the same corals. Yeah. <laughs> it's still tenuous and still millies, you know, I mean, it's still the same coral, you know, it's just, you can put different names, you know, on it, you know, it's still the same corals, you know, so that's, that's the funny part. Uh, I, I mean, it's like, it's 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 just marketing, you know. So so I'm I'm not too keen on it, you know, because I'm I'm 
Scientific names, you know, and uh, and, and I'm European, you know, so so we like Latin names uh, in Europe, you know. While in the States, you know, they're not like common names, you know. So it's it's a different thing, you know. But the 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 U.S. is actually influencing Europe regarding this, you know. So they they start to get the names, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, when you have one calls and you have hundred different names for the same calls, it's just it's just confusing for everyone, you know. So 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 it's. Yeah, I don't think it's a, it's a good thing, you know. At at the end of the day, it's just make the market very, very, very confusing, you know. And and yeah, tenuis, you know. I understand there is some special strains of tenuis and everything, you know. There is some which is gonna develop a little bit different coloration, you know. But it's still a tenuis. So yeah, it's it's sometimes I I think it's too much. So um. Here's a uh, another question about um, smooth skin uh, acros from uh, NSB Reese. Uh, Reef Pump, can you ask what is the typical water conditions they're growing their smooth skin acros in? So what 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 kind of conditions are are those smooth skins usually in there, uh, Vincent? Okay, so I mean, um, so the top of the farm is 15 meters deep, which is 45 feet deep. All the way to 30 meters, which is 90 feet, you know. So the farm is in between 45 to 90 feet. So it's, that's pretty deep. This is a place where maximum you have, you're going to have 5 meters, 15 feet visibility, you know. If you have 15 feet visibility, it's considered good. Mm. Most of the time it's going to be not even 10 feet. So, so when you are on the surface, you go down. It takes it takes halfway, you know, to go down to start to see the shape of the racks and start to see that you're gonna eat something, you know. So, so it's the water is very very rich in uh, in particles. So so the light is is obviously uh, very low. So that's why I mean I just light my deep water the same way as light my LPS. So I put them in the in the same condition as I put goniopores or, or things like that. So yeah, just just low light, like a power of 100, 150. It's it's more than enough. They don't need so much light. Uh, they're not good at competing with other corals, you know. So it's not good to put them in a place where there is many other corals. So so, they, and uh, and uh, it's nice to make a, to keep them all together, all the at the same time, all the deep water together, because they protect each other, and often in the wild they live together, you know. It's kind of uh, the trees that protect the forest, you know. So if one fall down, all the other one fall down. So usually when you find them, you find big fields of them. <clears throat> it's seldom to find one colony of them. Mm. It's just large, wide fields of them, you know. So, yeah, I just they're not very aggressive, you know. So they just don't sting each other the same way the, the, the shallow water do. It's not as competitive, you know. So I, 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 I just put them together, you know. It's in, in yeah, under that power, light, not so much flow. I don't feed them, uh, but you could feed them, you know, with some phytoplankton and mainly phytoplankton, not zooplankton. What, what about um, yeah. what about parasites in the wild? You know, like uh, in in um, in our uh, closed ecosystems, you know, in terms of our reef tanks, you know, with SPS, you're fighting acroweeding flatworms. You got some um, parasitic uh, copepods out there, you know, and and there's a whole bunch of um, pests that can impact the health. Of the corals in our tanks, what what um, degree are you fighting <coughs> that in the uh, in the wild? 
we just we just quarantine everything so we just uh, i mean in the wild we cannot do anything you know but you have to understand you know that the wild ecosystem especially around the farms we are lucky to have a lot of fish we stop people from uh, fishing around our farms <clears throat> because first of all they often walk on the racks or they get hooked on the racks and they damage everything so so we stop them from fishing and and we have all the fish all the the predators of those parasites around the farms, you know. So we don't have problems of parasites uh, on the ocean farms. Um, it's just, just yeah, it's just, yeah, I've never seen one rack completely. Uh, so the racks are designed so Drupella snails cannot climb on them, so Cronofton starfish cannot climb on them. They, they would be a problem, you know, but I never had a farm, you know, with a, a red bug infestation, you know, so which would cause problem. Oh, which will show signs. Right. Right. Um, you know, with predators. I'm sorry, the, you cut out but there. For really. the ocean farms. Oh, sorry. So, so yeah, so we don't have much problem in the in the ocean farms, you know, because there is all the predators, you know. But for the ocean, for the land farm, we quarantine all the corals. We give them antibiotic treatments, and we keep a lot of uh, a lot of fish in our systems, you know, so to make sure. We have enough rust, enough uh, mandarin fish, enough pipe fish, enough uh, springeri damselfish, etc., etc. There is this whole list of fish, you know, that we need to keep in in our system to make sure they they they, they hit all those all those bugs. So this is an interesting question from Chris Rojas. What is a day in the life like for you and your team? Can you repeat that? Uh, he's asking what a day in the life would be like for you and your team. So I guess what would a typical day look like for you guys, <clears throat> gals too? So, yeah, so we, we work in the morning, you know. So usually, you know, when we get to the farms, it's it's early in the morning. So usually wake up by 4, by 5. By the by, uh, sunrise, you are in the ocean, you know. So by 6.30, you are in the ocean. And then usually you work 2, 3, 4 hours maximum because that's all you can get underwater and then uh, so it's usually a lot of driving around involved a lot of uh, boat involved you know so we have farms which are an hour an hour away driving and we have farms which are three hours away driving you know? so depend on which farm we're going uh, but yeah it's uh, yeah so transportation to the farms two dives two one hour dive two times an hour dive with one hour in between, you know, so usually where you go down, you pick up a bootstock colony, you cut bootstock colony, then you go up, you uh, work on the boat, fragmenting and gluing and uh, and doing everything uh, needs to be done. We try to work as much as possible underwater because uh, as soon as you take the corals out of water, you stress it a little bit. So, so I favor gluing corals underwater. So there is less recovery time, and so they grow faster, and uh, and uh, yeah, the, it's just less recovery time, you know. So I I favor to actually do everything underwater. So that's usually I, there is few people. I have two staff that I, I like to work with because we don't we cannot talk underwater, you know. So so they need to. There is a non-verbal communication that's going on underwater, and then there is some people, you know, with this communication is very easy, and some people, you know, it just never happens. So I have my favorite staff, and then uh, and then we go down, and 
yeah, just try to work as fast as possible uh, underwater. So usually, yeah, we spend our mornings in the ocean. And then after I have other people that are taking care of the of the land farm, which they have, yeah, testing water every day. We, we test uh, alkalinity, calcium, magnesium every day. Uh, uh, yeah, so I get the result on my phone. Wherever I am in the world, I get the result of my system on my phone every day and check that and uh yeah i just need to go and spend an hour in the in the land farm you know and tell them what to do for the uh you you mentioned some parameters there for the uh um some key parameters for, for the land farm are you guys pretty much shooting for natural um sea world levels for those key parameters so um so in uh in the land farm we use a triton method uh for one very simple reason is because uh, where we are located, not so far from the airport in Bali, the water is not so good all year long. Mm. So uh, we had some issues for years and years, especially during the rain, you know, from uh, December from December to May. That would be our big problem, which is the high season for our business. With big fluctuation in water quality due to heavy rains, so um, we decided to uh, to. Is, it might look counterproductive, you know, but actually, you know, here it's it's the only way to go, you know, because during the rainy season we get so much rain that it's very difficult to keep the, 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 the just the salinity. Right. It's just. Sometimes we struggle with salinity, you know, so so every time we pump water, we need to check the salinity, we need to check, and, and that was a problem. So now we work with the Triton method. We don't make any water change. I mean, we change some water, the, the water was, that we use to pack the calves, that's our water change, and and that's all. And change any water. So, so yeah, it's it's it, it might seem counterproductive being here and just next to the ocean just to pump water in and out, you know. But the secret is stability, you know. So, so we find we get a lot more, much better result, not pumping in uh, bad water and and different parameter water or not pumping in parasites to have a perfectly closed system. Now there is a, the technology is available, you know, for you to keep a perfectly closed system, you know, and it's actually. Uh, the way to get the best results. What about um, coral feeding? I mean, obviously, corals need to get food. As um, as Aquarius, what uh, what can we do to really try to um, you know feed the corals to our best of our uh, ability? Should we be dosing amino acids? Should we be doing some specific coral foods, or is um, feeding the fish good enough with fish poop? So yeah, we we use we have our own recipe of uh, amino acids you know that uh, we use to feed corals with uh, we use uh, rifroid from polyplab uh, we use different coral food you know but yeah the main thing the two main thing that we use is our own recipe of uh, amino acids that we feed coral with and uh, and rifroids so so yeah so every two day we every two days we feed the calls so so they're getting fed three or four times a week. What about dosing bacteria? That's a um, that's kind of been a hot thing around here in, in the uh, in the states and and um, I'm not sure about in Europe, but um, you know a lot a lot of folks believe that dosing bacteria is beneficial to a captive reef tank. Do you think that's uh, necessary? I mean corals do eat. Um, it's possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's possible. I, unfortunately, it's difficult for me because uh, I don't have any available here. So I never tried it. Uh, really, I, I never started any system, you know, with any bacteria because we have live rock, you know, so it's easy for us, you know, to actually start system with live rocks. I never tried using bacteria, you know, but but it's possible, you know. I mean, the, in when I see, I think that corals feed a lot more than we think. I think that, uh, and I, I just read an article in Coral Magazine a couple of days ago, you know, uh, about zooplankton, you know, and uh, yeah, there was big misconception of uh, the quantity of zooplankton available on reefs around the world, you know. So everybody say that reefs are, are desert, there is no food on reefs and everything. So yeah, it might be... The food is really quickly recycled, you know, but trust me, there is a lot of food available on the reef and uh, especially where our coral come from, you know. So if you go on the Great Barrier Reef, on outer reefs, you know, in very clear, crystal clear gin water, the water is pretty clean, you know. But the inshore reefs where our corals are collected, where our corals are grown, trust me, there is a lot of food. So 90% of their need coming from the zoos and tele, it's bullshit. Mm. It's they need food, you know, so they can adapt, they can survive without food, definitely. A lot of acropora do, but uh, but uh, if you want to grow them and uh, faster, and if you want to reproduce them, you need to feed them to have good results. What, what about nutrients? What do you guys in, in your um, land farms keep uh, your nitrates and phosphates at? 0.03 for phosphate and 2 to 5. Uh, nitrates so not uh not super low but very simple yeah yeah for everything for acropoas lps we don't have any uh, special treatment you know for for any cause we try to stay everything standardized everywhere the same you know we used to have different system for different things so it's just make it complicated you know so now we just two to five nitrates and uh, 0.03 for phosphates and yeah, it's, it's it's not difficult to to keep those parameters. I mean, I don't think it's difficult. Now, as a uh, as a coral farmer, do you um, try to keep an elevated pH? Is that something that um, you you guys try to um, strive for? Uh, of course, uh, we do. You know, I mean, in uh, in in our farming system, we use uh, Core Seven. You know, the the Triton product. You know, which already has elevated uh, pH. You know, and and that's good enough. You know, uh, if you use the Triton method, you know, you have a ten times turnover. So if you have enough flow plus Core Seven, it it just keeps the pH higher. You know, maybe I could be a little bit higher, eight point four, eight point five. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's 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 big system. It's commercial system. Uh, I don't want to run it. You know, uh, you, you fine tune. You know, it's it's better to find something. You know, which is which our pH is eight point two to eight point three, and it seems to be to be good enough. You know, I I could probably benefit to have it a little bit higher, uh, but it would complicate things a lot, and uh, I don't want to get. To get there, I don't want to make a mistake, you know. So, so, so the risk is high, uh, and there is too much at stake, you know. I mean, I don't want to come one morning and uh, there is a problem with a dosing pump, you know, and then everything's dead. I don't, I, I don't want this to happen. Yeah, I hear you. It's, it is kind of a fine line there, and I know, um, I know Chris at ACI yes. has a whole uh, system in place to, uh, to keep that uh, high pH from, um, 
from that pH from going. Chris is there every day, you know. Chris is yeah. there every day. He's taking care of it by himself and everything, you know. So 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 it's good, you know. Unfortunately, me, I rely on other people, you know. So so I I I cannot ask them, you know, to uh, to to work as good as uh, do or I would do, you know. So I need to make a. Uh, uh, to set up a system, you know, that is uh, staff reliant, you know, and and staff proof, you know, so mistake proof. So I rather have a not optimized, completely optimized system, you know, that works well, without any risk, than uh, to have a, a slightly better system, you know, but taking a lot more risk. I hear. You. Um, so when when you when you uh, pull a piece off of um, you know the reef and and you and you bring it to the land farm let's say or or maybe it's in the um, the ocean farm what 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 kind of um, time frame are we talking about in terms of you know getting that coral ready for market so to speak in terms of being able to farm it to a certain size and then being able to frag it is that like a one year process is that a two year process that depends on the coral it depends on the species yeah. you know for an acropora yeah it's 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 a one year process until you start to get stock fragment for sale you know so you just start you don't have large quantity you know so it's all depend on the quantity you're looking for also you know so if you want to to gather enough stock before you can actually market it then yeah for an acropora two years is a good timing is a good frame then you have a few hundreds ready that you can sell and then you can keep on producing those three hundreds uh, if you just need 10, 20 pieces, you know, within one year, it can, it can be done. For LPS, it's a whole different uh, problems, you know. Right. It takes it takes four or five years, you know, before you you, you build the bootstock. So so yeah, it's uh, it's it's complicated work. It's complicated paperwork. It's uh, it's very very challenging. Yeah, I'm sure there's got to be so many different variables in play. So Jake's got a good question. Um, have you discovered any new coral species recently, let's say? Uh, well, I mean, there is there are some acroporas we just don't know what it is. Is it a new species? I don't know yet. Uh, so uh, we, So I did a survey... Uh, with Paul Muir, with Dr. Paul Muir, you know, which was the assistant of Carden Wallace in uh, in uh, Townsville Museum uh, two months ago uh, in North Sulawesi. So basically, the story goes uh, in 1993 and there and did a survey of some uh, dive sites and recorded all the species of Acropora she met. And at that time, I think she found three new species of Acropora. And uh, so we went back uh, 30 years later and uh, we dove the same spots as she dove. And uh, we recorded all the different species that we found. And, uh, and we're writing uh, the, the result right now. Um, we found, I think there is only two species that uh, she found that we didn't find. But there is one species. Oh, no. So there is two species that she found we didn't find, but there is two species that she didn't find and that we found. Mm. So Tenela and Almaira, because she didn't go as deep as uh, as we did. And there is one Acropora that we found in one site that she didn't dive. Uh, that might be a new species, but we're still we're still checking this. You know, it's complicated for Acropora. It's very very complicated. You know, because you have 
maybe some people will call it one name, some people another name, but you have to check both. You have to check uh, all the museums around the world to see if they are specimen of something similar or not. It's a, it's a very complicated and long process, you know. Maybe DNA testing, you know, will uh, not make this more simple, you know, but uh, yeah. <laughs> more straightforward for sure. So um, <laughs> TFP has so, questions. Yeah, and, and with Jack, I, I, I want to add something. With Jack, actually, I don't know, like uh, 10 years ago, we, we, we did uh, an expedition in Komodo. And uh, we have two species of Acropora there that we still don't know and don't think it's, it's uh, they have been ever recorded, you know. So we think we have two new species of Acropora also there. Jake's asking, where is uh, Acropora chalius? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have to find a nice one, you know. That's, that's the thing. You know, I'm very picky, you know. So, so I don't want a, a common thing, you know. I want something very, very, very different. So still looking for it. Still looking for it. Taking your Working time on, on that one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, TFP has a uh, question. I was going to ask this question myself, and I'll expand on, on this person's questions. Do you ever experience RTN, what us uh, hobbyists get here um, in our tanks? But, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, RTN, STN, if you guys do experience that. And if you do, what do you folks um, do to try to stop it? Okay, so... Uh... RTN, not really. One of the reasons is uh, because uh, temperature here is uh, pretty much the same all year long, you know. So, so temperature in Indonesia, we under the tropics, is very similar all year long. So we don't have big fluctuation like you have in the States, you know, like uh, during spring, you know, the temperature of your tank is going to go up. And the quality of your hair that you, that you put into your tank is very different. Here it's pretty much stable, you know all year long, you know, so I touch wood, I never experienced, you know, RTN, you know, we lose one piece, you know, here and there, you know, sometime, you know, but uh, it's, 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 it never spreads to all the other ones. And usually when it happens is, uh, it's, uh, it's a mistake uh, that uh, we did uh, transporting or cutting or it's a manipulation. It's just handling problem. Uh, STN, so we have some time, you know, especially with Zachary, you know, like, like uh, it takes uh, Acropora sometimes, especially deep water, takes a long time to actually adapt to certain conditions, mm. to new conditions. So, so we are lucky here because we get the, the corals uh, from the farm and within five hours is going to be in our system. But when those corals are shipped out, uh, it takes 48 hours for them to reach their destination, and then uh, they're going to stay 24 hours or 48 hours in uh, one wall cellar tank, and they're going to be shipped again, you know, for 24 hours to a retailer tank, and it's going to stay 24 or 48 hours there, and then it's going to be moved to another tank, you know. So it's like three big water quality differences, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the set of a week, you know. So it's a lot of stress for coral. Yeah. And sometimes... You feel like they are dying off slowly, slowly, you know, but it's actually just, yeah, they're just waiting. They go in, in a mode, you know, in a survival mode, you know, so they say, okay, uh, there is so many uh, variation in our environment right now, you know, so I'm going to wait until everything becomes stable, you know. So it takes them like six months. For six months, you see them, they become brown. They don't grow. They just, 
And then after six months, they start to have a little bit of coloration, you know, and they start growing again, you know. But during those six months recession, you know, they, they actually lose some. This is something you could call, you know, slow tissue necrosis, you know, or something like that, you know. But but we're lucky, you know. I don't know why, you know, we don't we don't experience, you know, uh, RTN if we don't make a handling mistake, you know. If uh, we bring back calls from uh, one of our ocean farms and uh, the staff forget to put ice in the boxes, yeah. They're gonna die. <laughs> it happens. It happens usually once. Uh, it, but yeah, once you know how to deal with this and you make sure you have a very stable uh, system, usually it's not something that is very common. You know, uh, the, the 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 theory we don't we don't play with uh, carbon dosing or with this kind of things in our system. You know, so we have very very simple method. You know, this is this is I I. I I try to, yeah, stability is uh, the main thing, you know, so I try to make a system that uh, 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 my staff cannot, uh, cannot, cannot damage, you know, cannot make errors with, you know, so very, very, very bulletproof, very, very strong. And once you reach that, you, you don't have any problems. You mentioned... Um, it's all about stability. Gotcha. You mentioned um, shipping corals and and uh, some of the long uh, journeys that these corals take from from you guys to um, all the different countries that you uh, export corals to. When um, shipping, best practices, um, oxygen, activated carbon, are those things that you utilize? Well, um, it's 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 uh, we tried so many different things over. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been shipping. Uh, calls for 30 years now you know so trust me you know we tried a lot of things uh, uh to be honest with you uh right now we try to keep it simple you know so obviously you know we have a system with very good water quality you know we try to keep the alkalinity a little bit higher in our uh, shipping systems so the water is slightly buffered uh we try to keep the temperature as, uh, so we sometimes use, I think, you know, the main problem, especially with Acropora, is temperature, you know. Yeah. So we often use uh, uh, temperature recorders uh, in our boxes to make sure, you know, that uh, there is no problem, especially in new places where we haven't shipped before. Uh, uh, shipping is very, very, very technical, you know, because depending on the length, depending on the itinerary, depending on the season, you're going to change a few things, you know. So, like, during COVID, the airport in Bali was shut down, so we had 12 hours more flight, mm -hmm. and we would ship to Jakarta. In Jakarta, it's uh, it's warm, so we would have to put more ice, for example, you know. So it's a longer flight, so we have to put more water, more oxygen, and because it's it has a stopover in a warm place, we need to put more ice. Uh, if it has a stopover in a cold place, we have to put less ice, and sometimes we have to use heat packs. So it's it, it really every shipment is different. Every packing is different. So we have four or five different standards depending on the season, depending on on the destination. We always check temperature at destination to make sure uh, we arrive and it's not too warm or not too cold. And uh, there is some season. Uh, luckily, uh, July August when it's very warm over there, you know, we don't ship too much, so it's it's a low season, you know. Yeah. So there is not too many problems. But during winter, sometimes we, I mean, we lose, last, last year we lost some shipment in Istanbul because of snowstorm, you know, just the shipment got stuck in a, in a snowstorm, the flight couldn't take off, and uh, the shipment stayed there three, four, five days, and 
yeah, you can say bye bye to all the cars. Yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very very challenging, you know, because every shipment is actually different. Do uh, do you guys utilize activated carbon in case um, you know to help absorb any toxins in the uh, the bag if the corals start getting stressed? Yes, yes, we do. We do on uh, on longer shipments. Uh, uh, but when the shipment is fine, you don't really need it. Uh, uh, we use it on some fish. We use it on some shrimps. We use it on on some corals, but not all corals, because also the so you need to use uh, pellets, not small carbon, because otherwise it floats and start to irritate the corals. So you need something that is heavy enough to sink and stay at the bottom of the of the of the bag. Uh, yeah, so that that's what we use, you know, uh, pelleted uh, active carbon. So it's 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 a bit challenging to find the right one, to find the, the good one that has no phosphates and it's not gonna release anything. You don't want something too strong neither. You don't want it to uh, to absorb everything that is inside the water neither. So so yeah, it's a it's it's a difficult process. So don't put too much. Just put a little bit and make sure it's a very high quality uh, active carbon. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you know I'm, I I do a lot of shipping myself here in the United States, and it is definitely a uh, bit of a science. And and I, I, it does seem to be that temperature is the biggest factor though in terms of uh, success failure. That's that the thing. I Especially Acropora. Acropora will will lose color. So so if the customer tell you, oh yeah, they arrived, they are they are alive, you know, but they are not so colorful. So you know they had a temperature stress somewhere. That's uh, that's what it is, and people don't understand that, you know. I mean, it's like it's like the the first reaction of calls of especially Acropora, you know, when it comes to a temperature, it's it's colorless. So they're not vibrant enough, you know. So when you get it right, so for, for especially for Acropora, low temperature is better than high temperature. So it's it's definitely better to have them cooler than warmer. I've heard that uh, uh, SPS can actually handle low, low temperatures and in get into the mid-50s. I don't know if that's something that you um, would agree with or not, but uh, I've heard it can go that low in a bag. Yeah. It's, uh, when uh, when they they this they send me uh, uh, reports and uh, I can hear I can see you know the temperature is low I know the, I know the acropora will be fine lower temperature more oxygen less less bacterial uh, activity it's it's all good for acropora you know they they actually I mean where am I so I would have to Google it you know how much is it in Fahrenheit you know but where am I uh, we get temperature as low as eighteen twenty degrees you know in some places you know and on the Great Barrier if they get temperature also as low as that you know so so coral are used to lower temperatures they just don't like high temperatures gotcha rob and the funny thing it's the funny thing is different with fish you know because if you get fish cold they hate it <laughs> but if you get fish warm they are okay you know so that's 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 fish and coral is the opposite so i guess you don't want to have uh, fish and coral in the same shipment then that could uh, potentially be a little bit more complicated maybe not in the same box. Not in the same box. Rob of State yeah, New York. Not in the same box. Yeah. Rob of State New York, thank you very much, man, for that super Sorry? chat. I'm just uh, thanking Rob here. Gave us a little uh, yeah. super chat donation comments. Uh, thanks again for a great chat. Appreciate that, Rob. Um, Bert Minshew's got a uh, question for you. We're getting back into the coral specific questions here. Does um, do you farm any speciosa? And and your thoughts on this acro? Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, it's uh, 
it's 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 another one you know it's like uh, does i don't think it likes shipping uh, too much it's, it's not an easy one to ship for us we don't have too many problem with it you know we we i think the the main mistake do with them is that they put them under too much light so it's uh, it, it's actually a call that uh, needs to be kept in uh, in pretty dark uh, system, especially once it's healthy and and growing and everything, you can try to slightly, very slowly, you know, increase the light. But yeah, it's uh, if you just give him indirect light, you know, at the beginning, it's actually uh, actually it doesn't really matter. It's it survive better. We 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 culture it in ninety feet, so it's wow. Uh, it's it's pretty deep. Yeah, it's pretty deep. Very calm water. Uh, so yeah. That uh, that leads. But I've seen it. I've seen it in the wild, in like forty-five feet, and perfectly healthy. You know, so so it just it just takes time to adapt properly. You know, but yeah, especially uh, small, small frags uh, needs to be kept in a little bit in the in the dark. You know, where you keep your LPS, but not too close to your LPS. You know, because otherwise it gets stung. What about security? You know, Rob Obstinier asks a good question here. Um, Vincent, any trouble with stealing corals from the uh, the ocean farms? Or, or do you guys ever have uh, issues? With people uh, kind of pirating corals. They are awesome. There is, but but not so much because everywhere we have ocean farms, we work with community. You know, so if people would be stealing corals from there, they would be stealing from the community. You know, which uh, is very risky in Indonesia. So, so uh, it's a uh, we don't. There is only one place where we actually own the land, and uh, and, and then we are allowed to farm in front of the land. But most of the other places, we work with a cooperative of fishermen. So it belongs to the fishermen uh, community, you know, the farm. So there is a they give us two, three fishermen to actually take care of the farms, and uh, when we buy the corals back from them the profit goes to the community. So if they would be stealing, they would be stealing from the community, you know? So I, I, I don't say it doesn't happen. It happens, but not in large quantity, you know? Usually people will come, will take a couple pieces of them to grow a, a mother colony or something, but we never have huge, huge theft. Because, yeah, we always have people, you know, I mean, on the beach, there is always some eyes on the beach, you know, and, and checking out, you know, in one place, we had to put a, a floating platform and have to have people to actually sleep on them, especially wow. when the, the, the gold torch rush was, uh, <laughs> was at full, uh, full power, full steam. So we put a floating platforms where we keep the, the gold torch and have uh, people watching 24-7 on them. Wow, but that's 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 the only case where we did it. You know, it's all. That's why I hate gold torch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gold torch are only problems. Well, I guess it's like those Everyone. those higher priced uh, corals attract attention there, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so, uh, Vincent, we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap this up uh, pretty soon, man. But um, talk to me about uh, yeah. one one last uh, question for you. Talk to me about. Uh, educating folks in the uh, in the community you mentioned uh, the community and all that stuff and um you know we also talked about a big part of your uh, you know uh, tasks these days or coral uh, restoration but um what kind of education do you do in terms of the community and fishermen and other folks out there in uh, indonesia 
Well, I mean, everywhere you start to farm corals, you need to educate people, you know. So, so uh, for reef restoration work or for for farming, uh, when we get in there, sorry, so about that. No, that's all right. You got you're 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 going to work, you know. I'm like, yeah, it's it's early morning, you know. So I start to get uh, <laughs> I start to get messages. Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, in order to run a farm or reef restoration project, you need to, uh, to, to know what you're talking about, you know? So, so, uh, we have a coral reef ecology and coral reef, uh, identification course that, uh, I have it in, uh, in, uh, in local languages. I have it in English, in French and everything. So everybody that uh, wants to learn about corals, you know, we give them the course. But yeah, we, we go there, we give them a course on uh, uh, the coral reef ecology, what are corals, hard corals, soft corals, uh, or to identify some few genuses of hard corals, and then the different techniques. That uh, that's, that's a basic course. And, uh, and after, slowly, slowly, we develop, uh, we develop techniques and we develop, uh, we develop species, you know, for the, for the different farms, you know. So, so it takes a bit of time. Slowly, slowly, we teach the people, you know, how to how to work. It's a it's it's a long process, you know. But uh, yeah, so we have staff. So first of all, we go there, we teach them everything, and then after we have staff that maintain the farm properly with some of the local community, and then slowly, slowly, they teach the local community, you know, the work that they have to do. And 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 yeah, so it's a it's 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 the way it works. We we do a lot of uh, a lot of community trainings. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, you go there, you give a training for three days and then you start the farm six months later and then you go back there six months later, you see the result, you maintain the farm with the staff, you show them what they have to do and then six months later you go back there and then you start uh, making sure there is broodstock and counting and everything is done properly. So it's a few year process. Gotcha. It takes time to get all the licenses, also, yeah. you know, in each uh, each each farm, you know. So 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 by the time you plant the first corals, and by the time you can actually, you know, uh, harvest one coral and and sell it or plant it, it's it's always a, a two three years process, you know. So you have a two three years window, you know, where you can actually slowly slowly, you know, teach the community, you know, all they need to know. Gotcha. Uh, no, I have I have farms, you know, like I, I train I train. Uh, what I do now is I use uh, a community that I trained before to actually train other communities. Oh. So, so I train them. I go there. I still do the first, uh, the first training myself, the first ecology and uh, ID training myself. And then after, when they need to do the work, we send people that already know the work to teach. And, and, and especially Indonesian, Indonesian are very social person, you know, so, so they always welcome, they are easy to deal with. They are, they, yeah, it's, it works pretty well here. That's uh, the, that's the best way, you know, so you, 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 you training trainers. Yeah, that's, that's a smart move. That way you can kind of, uh, be a lot more efficient in terms of your time for sure. Um, Zubin, uh, thank you very much for that, uh, super chat. Appreciate it. Vincent, any, uh, any final thoughts before we, uh, wrap it up today? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm still passionate about coral, you know, I hope uh, we can uh, transmit this, this patient.
you know, to, 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 to most of the, of the hobbyists. I just wish, you know, I mean, we have, a, especially with Jake, we have a love for some weird corals, you know, we hope that uh, we wish the, the hobby, you know, could, uh, could be different than trying to copy uh, the neighbor, mm. you know, and just having the same tank as the neighbor, you know, we wish there would be people with more different corals and with more different aquariums. And uh, there is so many corals that uh, maybe are not as colorful, you know, very beautiful, you know, and, and, and people have to develop, you know, uh, this love for corals, which are, which are special, you know, in their own way, you know, and try to see, you know, what is the, the special things about those, those brown, ugly corals. And yeah, so, so yeah, that I would just, yeah, I just hope, you know, the, like the, the hobby would develop a little bit like the freshwater. So uh, where people will keep only uh, Amazonian fish or African uh, fish or whatever, or Melanotania or rainbow fish or more specialized, you know, and, and, and some aquariums where uh, people focus on, uh, on one particular habitat or one particular genus or one particular shape of corals or et cetera, et cetera, you know, and, or trying to keep all the, 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 the fish that live with the corals and try to keep a small microcosm. Yeah. You don't, you don't see any, uh, like, I, I like to, I like to inspire people, you know, with this. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, you don't see yeah. too many like staghorn only, uh, reef tanks out there or, or reef tanks that are just, uh, with tabling acros. I mean, maybe you see that, but, uh, these days you don't see a lot of staghorn only or staghorn dominant, uh, tanks, which are gorgeous. I think it will come back. It will come back. I think, I think, uh, whatever people say, you know, I think Acropora will still be the most popular corals in, in this hobby, you know, because they are, they are fascinating, you know, and colorful and, and diverse and they have so many uh, good uh, qualities, you know, for, for, for the aquarium, you know. So, yeah, I mean, doing a, a table Acropora dominated tank, you know, would be, would be, would be fantastic. And I think the technology start to be there, you know, so, so, so it will come eventually. Yeah, for sure. So. All right, man. Well, listen, I know you uh, got to get to work, but I uh, just want to yeah. really thank Vincent very much for uh, being on the live stream tonight here in the U.S. And I um, also want to thank both Bulk Resupply and Ecotech Marine for sponsoring this live stream. And I also want to thank all of you folks that tuned in to watch and um, appreciate the, uh, the super chats. And finally, a big thank you to Paul, the moderator. Also want to let you know that all episodes of Wrap on the Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Wrapping with Reef Bomb live stream will be next Thursday, September 8th with Barnett Shutman. Barnett runs RVS Fish World, and he's responsible for importing most Filipino Red Sea and all Madagascar and Papua New Guinea fish, so it should be another great episode. i also like to mention that I will be having a live coral sale this Saturday, September 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on YouTube, so you can learn more about it on ReefBum.com. And if you want to get the full upcoming schedule of guests for Wrapping with ReefBum, please visit ReefBum.com under the YouTube section. So until next time, be safe, be well. Later. Take care. Thank you, guys.